Elite Physique University, your source for all things physique enhancement. Test, test, test. All right. Got to make it official. White trash energy drink. All right. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Elite Physique University. I'm John Gorman, your host. We're back on day two of the Elite Physique University seminar here in Tampa. Myself, Dr. Bill Campbell, Jason Theobald. And we're just going to get right into it, guys. We've got another Q&A lined up. Jason Wells is going to be walking around with the microphones. Who's got the first question? Raise your hand. Where are you at? Okay. Jace is up. Speak up if you don't mind. Uh, so this is for Jason. Um, so you talked about kidney health earlier. You checked yeah. EGFR and for the markers. You ever check um, headlines to uh, see statin to see and uh, a urinalysis to see a uh, protein gauge cleavage? Yeah, I think a urinalysis is really important, especially for pad users. Um, I think that you really want to see if you've got too much protein in that urine. Um, I don't do the C-statin as much, but it is a good test. Uh, I rely on that comprehensive metabolic panel from Life Extension, and honestly, I kind of pick and choose what I need to see. So if someone had issues, I would, I would love to see that marker. If everything comes back clean, I'm not going to probably go down that route. Um, but in the flip side, too, I had a guy, he's a bigger guy, classic physique, he rolls around 265 off-season. EGFR was 58, okay? We went to his doctor and I told him exactly that, get, get your protein levels tested in your analysis. And that came back very good. So his doctor concluded just to sheer size. And I guess there's, an, I don't know the formula, but there's another formula I guess they use for guys with more mass and he was fine, but it worried me as a coach. And well, so- I know that uh, non, the African American is based on muscle mass. Yeah, know, yeah. And then, uh, so you use that marker to match more muscle, you more viable, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I find women, well, this is a general question for everybody. I find women respond better from diet breaks uh, and men respond better from uh, I'll go first. Um, I actually think you're you're probably right. Um, I don't know that as many men. Let's talk about a really intense cut for a show. I don't really know that they. I've never really had a guy where I've had a diet break. I've had to do refeeds. I've had to do two refeeds back to back to unstall. Um, but a lot of times, I don't find that our our systems are just more resilient to stress. That's just the way it seems to be in terms of hormonal health and all those down regulations that we get. Women, I, I think that, that, that I was telling you, though, again, com competitors, I think I'm going to work a diet break in to that girl I was telling you guys about. Um, so I do believe that, that women need that more just from the way that, I think we were talking about in the VIP last night, but you know, men with stress, we're more affected cardiovascularly. Women are more affected hormonally. And so, you know, you get that down regulation. So that diet break, I think, helps to, to prevent that. And I'm going to test that more with my competitors, to be honest with you. And uh, last one. Uh, and uh, eggs, uh, you were mentioning Anabar. Uh, do you ever just uh, went higher testosterone or use as, as a base and add androids on top? So it depends on division for me. Um, but, but generally speaking, even for, like, my physique girls who are IFBB pros and pushing – I'm not a huge fan of using test to grow. I would use an HRT dose for them, but I wouldn't use it to grow. I find there's just too much androgen pushback. But 
let's say they're on 10 milligrams of uh, tests a week, I would have no problem with someone using like 50 or 60 megs of MPP a week, something like that. So I could see that working really well. I would not like to see that test go much higher though. I would rather add in Anivar on top of the stack for me personally. Just cause I don't know, I just, with, with tests, and this is more of like, I was talking about it in my presentation, I, I, it's more of a thing I've seen and I don't know the exact reason yet, but that high testosterone with some women doesn't seem to elicit the response that you want um, in terms of fat loss and things like that. So for growth, it would certainly work, but then you gotta watch the virilization. And so I do find there's more virilization issues with testosterone than Anivar, generally speaking. That's what I've seen in, in the trenches. <clears throat> so something I also wanna add to while we're getting to the next question, um, especially with the refeeds and everything that we've kind of covered today. I know some people are listening on the podcast um, and they weren't here in person, they didn't see the presentations, but there's a big focus on either, there was you know, a little bit of refeed talk going on, but mostly diet breaks. Jason talked about cortisol resets and you're seeing all these things to help people progress in their fat loss phases by doing these things. And I, th I think, honestly, Jason, we probably need to triple down on more cortisol resets and talking about those on the podcast and maybe you have a whole protocol and actually go into a deep dive on that in a presentation yeah. at some point. And Bill, if that's something you know in the lab with what you guys do is start to look at, so you know the diet breaks and things like that, what are the some of the main drivers and causes, things like cortisol coming down and stuff like that. And is there ever research where you can start to incorporate things of that nature? So as you guys see, it's all kind of comes full circle and you get little bits and pieces and you kind of put the puzzle together. At least that's what's happening for me right now. I'm like, oh, this, this, and this work together. Well, maybe maybe cortisol resets need to happen. Maybe they need to do them on their off days, not their high carb days like on their them. off days instead of their train days if they're if they're, you know, hormonally hormonally yeah. dysfunction. So yeah. can I tag on to that? Yeah. So one thing I didn't have time to mention in my actual talk, and I think this is a, a big. Let me just oversell. This is a massive mm -hmm. <laughs> insight into the diet break diet refeed research. The one study that it actually, let's say, worked was my lab's refeed study. And again, I'm not a shill for this. I'm also going to publish a study where a diet break didn't work in resistance trained females. So I'm, I, don't have, I don't make any money from diet breaks or refeed. I could care less. But in the, in the two studies in resistance trained people that, that I went over in resistance trained people, the diet wasn't severe enough or didn't cause any harm for a diet break to help or fix anything. So let me state this a different way. The utility of a diet break may only be in a situation where there is a loss of muscle mass, a loss of metabolic rate or hormonal dysregulation. If the diet's not causing these things, if the diet's not long enough, if the diet's not severe enough, like it wasn't in my lab study, like it wasn't in the ice cap trial. What's a diet break going to help? There's nothing to help. So in competitors whose dieting is long, the, the um, deficits are severe. There's clearly some hormonal issues with contest prep. There's a greater utility for a diet break to help. But our research is not in bodybuilders, as I've said all week unfortunately. 
So we're, we're looking at this in a way that might not be the best application for how they should be used. In the one study, we had a significant loss of muscle mass um, in the refeed group with the two days per week. And what did the refeeds do? They helped that. We had a significant decline in resting metabolic rate. Well, what happened? The refeed helped that. So I think until these studies, mine included, until you start to design diets that are actually gonna cause some harm, you're not really gonna see the utility of the potential for a break in a diet. Makes sense. <clears throat> Okay, who's got the next question? Go ahead. Well, so my question for you guys, and this is more probably an open conversation because I think all of us here know the answer, is how much do you think diet history of a client, long before they started with you, especially if they're older, influences them today? And I think we see this with all of the presentations today, like even with bills, like in your research studies, you saw people respond very differently to similar stimuli, whether that was the diet break or the repeat. Why are some people responding with weight gain? Why are some people responding with weight loss? My opinion is that it might have to do with how they treated their body for all the years before it. And then when we work with people, we often have those non-responders. And I don't know about anybody else, but I've had a hard time getting clients who aren't responding to get labs done, whether it's because they don't want to pay for it, they don't want to worry about talking to their doctor. So it's like, at what point do we, as coaches, assume, all right, there's something going on here. You're not responding, there's a reason you need to go get labs. So can you talk about like the history and what you've seen with that? Yeah, I'll, I'll start off on, on the, the seco side of it, so to speak, and I think you're probably great to jump in on the hormone side. Um, Bill, I don't know if you've ever looked at research on metabolic adaptation, if there's been a ton, um, but it's starting to come around. Uh, Lane kind of helped with that when he broke the internet in 2013 and talked about metabolic damage, but yeah. it started to lead to a lot of things that we've been able to look into. But So on my side of it, when I get a client that comes to me, I have an intake form and I find out their diet history because that to me says everything. If I have someone come to me and they've chronically yo-yo dieted or whatever, or they're currently on locales, that's a red flag. And anybody that's a coach listening to this or maybe here if you're new, if you're not finding out your client's dieting history, you're doing yourself and them a huge disservice and you're setting yourself up for failure. So I, I know because I failed a lot in the beginning, I just wanted any client that would come to me and they wanted to diet and I'm like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And they wouldn't budge. I thought, yeah. what the hell's going on? Now this is a calories in, calories outside that I'm gonna touch on. So sure, we see metabolic adaptation, we see it in, in women happen a lot. So they come to you, we talked a lot, we keep bringing up the super VIP, which was fun last night at, at our place. We just sat around and had a big round table Q&A. We talked about this. So, you know, the, the lady that comes to you eating 1,200 calories, right, over time. Well, if someone eats 1,200 calories for an extended period of time, what happens? Their, met their metabolism starts to adapt to low calories. And I have a theory is when they do that most days of the week and then they, they eat a lot, if your metabolism is slower six days a week, maybe they do it two weeks and they overeat, does it stick to you easier? I believe it does because you're metabolically adapted to lower calories. That's my theory. I would love to see more research on that. Um, so yes, I find out their dieting history. But now when I start to look back and now what I know about hormones, not only are they used to lower calories, I don't think that's, that's pretty quick. We can fix that pretty quick by, by refeeding them and, and reverse dieting them and feeding them up. I think it's the hormonal dysfunction caused by long-term 
over dieting and under eating. Jason, what, what do you think on that? <clears throat> no, I think you're 100% correct. Um, you know, we know that, you know, in terms of, let's just take a contest diet, you know, uh, the, the stress is put on the body, the overtraining, the overreaching, hormones downregulate. Okay. Now we take someone who wasn't a competitor, but they've been in and out of diets all their life, like my girl I was telling you about, and she has 12 years of her mindset being deficit. I got to be better. I got to be leaner. I got to be leaner. And so not only do we have a metabolism that's adjusted to the low caloric intake, like he said, <clears throat> she ended up needing HRT. She was, she's older. And so, you know, it's not going to come back now at this point. And so her testosterone was tanked, hormones were down, thyroid didn't look great, and that all goes hand in hand that we've talked about. So, you know, testosterone falls, thyroid usually takes a hit, and so now you're metabolically less able to burn the food and use the fuel. And so diet history is 100% really important, and I think the more that they've been in and out of diets, the harder it will be if you just want to jump in and try to like cut them and so the biggest issue with these clients <clears throat> is changing that mindset and so you've got to work on biofeedback of things other than the scale and other than just their physique so I do get pictures but I'll even let them like get off the scale but I don't over analyze the pictures I overanalyze how are you sleeping they tell me that like now they have a regular bowel movement. And so I really put a lot of emphasis on those wins when I'm talking to them. And I might say, you know, okay, the physique looks pretty good, you know, and even if I do see a little improvement, I might let them know that's the improvement, but I don't harp on that. I, I'm more of like all these things that we wanna see for health. You gotta get that restored before their body's ever gonna respond. And so that's just kind of where it is. And so it's the buy-in and the, the feet up and let's be strong let's build muscle it's got to be a whole new mindset i'm finding i have one more yeah that you might have to repeat it, but so yeah. for example i have a client who we tried the diet and her doctors were worried about her cholesterol and all this stuff and her labs had a lot of things going on mm -hmm. and she had been chronically dieting mm -hmm. so we maintained reversed and maintained for almost a year okay didn't gain any bad weight Talking to the mic. There you go. Oh, you want me to start over? No, no, you're good. Okay. So we reversed diet and maintained for a year. Didn't gain any bad weight. She mm -hmm. got pregnant. Became yep. much healthier. Her labs improved mm -hmm. after she had that baby. Lost the baby weight effortlessly. And she was breastfeeding, so I didn't drop her calories or Then we tried a diet. Nothing. Nothing at all. Okay. And with her labs, thyroid function was a little off. Have her on thyroid, thyroid boost. Sex hormones were a little low. Got her period back. She's still fine. But now, nothing's happening. Her calories are very low. I want her to get labs. And then at that point, it's like, would you say, yeah, get labs at that point? Yeah, I would get labs, and I would also use the pregnancy as kind of like a teaching point for her. As you said, <clears throat> she got pregnant. I'm sure her diet wasn't, like, I have a lot of women who get pregnant, and they want to stay with me because I'm helping hormones. Yeah. So I get this happening all the time, even though I warn them. And, you know, there's clients left and right. They're like, oh, I'm pregnant. You know, it's like, oh, and... Well, I will, but they can't stick to a diet a lot of times. They're nauseous. Yeah. And so then they feel like they're wasting money. So then, you know, but anyways, when you're pregnant, you're, you're overfeeding because you have, you're feeding for two. Your, your hunger drives higher. And a lot of times it's not for the healthiest of food if you're one of those women who have like nausea and things. 
and so they're grabbing greasier stuff, more hearty stuff. So their calories are naturally up, and they know they're going to get um, fatter because estrogen's sky high, and that's the point. So women kind of relax a little bit. They don't love it, but they know what's, you know, I'm, I'm building a human, and they're able to focus on someone else other than them, and the body resets. So her weight, you said, fell off very fast from the pregnancy. Now you want to go from that, okay, I look okay, I want to look great, and her body's not responding. But you said she's low cows again. She needs a reset period. You got to mimic, mimic, mimic the the pregnancy. Don't eat as much maybe terrible foods, but you got it's the same thing. There's more rest. You're not intense in the gym, and you're getting the food up. And so you can use that as a teaching example. I see it all the time when women get pregnant. It resets everything. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So while we go to the next question. Um, <clears throat> Bill, metabolic adaptation and research. Do you know where we're at with anything coming down the pipe? Are you familiar with anything that's significant that people could look up with? Um, there's not a ton out there, but I figured I'd ask you why we're going to the next question. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar. And I think your whole world, what we've been discussing here, it's not in the research literature because nobody's doing, no, this is a generally a lean person problem. Right? I mean, you guys aren't typically working with obese people that are just starting exercise. The researchers aren't, don't investigate lean people like I do, <laughs> right. I'm the only one, and I'm looked at like a, like a weirdo. But like, what are you studying weight loss and people that, that are lean? So even if there was, and there may be in, in, in an obese, and again, I did touch a little bit on it, it's just not going to be in, in our world. It's, yeah. uh, that's why I learned from you guys. Like, what, what, what am I missing? Because it's not in the literature. Do you think it would help to have some research with uh, overweight women who were chronically over dieters, but they're still overweight, they can't get things to budge, maybe metabolic adaptation in the gen pop world from that? Because that's kind of what you brought up in the question. Do you think something like that, do you think we'll see something like that, or is that going to be extremely hard to get done in the research community? I, I think unless they have diabetes or some other public health problem there's yeah. not going to be a drive glow you know in the research world to 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 address it that's pessimistic that's just that's just what i think no that that's why i asked you because there are people out there that wonder that they don't understand research so we've got you here i don't know what all goes into it i mean i helped you i wrote the diets for the refeed study but i don't understand the funding and everything that goes into it sure i would love to see all this stuff researched but it's just not as easy as people think right yes yeah and the reason i do what i do and I don't get money for it. I mean, very little. Sometimes a company will give me something or, or a, a person. But if I were doing obesity research, my funding world would open up. But I, I feel like there's you know plenty of people already doing that. Yeah, got it. Okay, so who has the next question? Go ahead and speak up if you would. Yeah, this is for Dr. Bill Campbell. Um, I enjoyed your 37-week uh, diet break, your personal one. Question really was uh, basic, I guess. What did you do? I, and I know during that phase and that time, um, you did two weeks, and then you said you took the weekends off from the dieting during that phase for that 37 weeks. How did you adjust, if at all? Did you adjust your training and cardio plan during that time when you were on a break uh, on the weekend? How did you uh, adjust that during that whole period of time? Can you restate it? Yep. Yeah, so the question was, during my uh, diet break talk, I talked about a personal case study on myself. I think it was 2016, maybe 2017, where I spent a good part of that year 
living what I called a diet break lifestyle because I knew this was intriguing to me and I just wanted to see well, what if I lived this for about a year and it ended up being 37 weeks. So essentially what I did was I planned out the course of the year and I approximately followed that. But the, the, the main thing was I took a lot of diet breaks, but I knew I was going to be dieting a lot of the year. And when I had back-to-back -back weeks of dieting, so 14 straight days of dieting, not only did I have a diet break before that and after that, that was at least a week long, even within those 14 days of dieting, I took a refeed where I increased my calories in the form of carbs. So again, it was a diet break slash diet refeed type of approach. It was like on steroids almost, the, the, the whole concept. I did my resistance training, I believe was four days per week. And I did cardio, which was low intensity running on non-lifting days. And that was about 45 minutes, but it, I, I remembered the loop that I would do around my home. So I walked like 15 and jogged 30. And at no point did I change anything. Dieting, refeed, diet break, everything. It was like, again, I'd like to think of, I was a machine through that whole period. Now, to be fair, a 25% caloric restriction's not brutal. And the fact that I took so many breaks, it wasn't like it was ever like, I'm so tired of this. So I, it wasn't, I can appreciate other people that may need to adjust what they're doing when it's a longer duration or a more severe restriction. Can, can I add something to that real quick? Um, so what I hear when I hear that as a coach, and what I want our people listening on the podcast to understand is, um, man, when you really stick to something, the results happen. You can really see what works and what doesn't. Because a lot of times we get clients, they don't stick in here and adhere to the plan you want them to do. And we don't necessarily know how well something works until they're as extremely strict as you just were during that whole 37 weeks is what you yes. did. So I just wanted to point that out. You know, adherence to me is so important to see how a lot of this stuff works. And I got to add one thing to that. And I also want to be honest. Yes, I was, I would say perfect. But since then, I've been, I've not, I've had struggles. So there's also an empathy approach to this when you're working with clients. So. I've had great times, so that was one of them. And maybe my COVID year last year was phenomenal. I was in the best shape in a long time. This year, no COVID, but my discipline has not been great. So I guess um, I just, again, I, we can all appreciate, like I, I look at people like, like Jason, I'm like, that guy never eats anything off. <laughs> maybe that's true, I don't know, no, but anyway. <laughs> We do have a question from the live stream from Natalie. Um, she says, maybe a little left field, but I'm starting to see it on repeat. Since the COVID pandemic, has anyone had clients or personal experience with negative adaptations due to postponed side effects of having either the virus itself or the vaccine, such as you know, prevalent hair loss? Well, you're watching on the live stream. If you see me tilt my head down, you see a little bald spot, I'm going to blame that on COVID. I blamed it on being fat earlier in my presentation yesterday, but um, I'll start off with that. Um, I personally had COVID right after, I don't know, sometime around March or so, like right after you came or right after we were here. I didn't get it here. Um, 
it put me in the ground for like 10 days. I didn't leave the house. I took advantage of that and didn't eat much and did a rapid fat loss, crash <laughs> diet, COVID diet. COVID um, diet. But afterwards, what I noticed was not, I went back to normal, trained. I do 15 minutes cardio every day, walk, get about 130 or 120 heart rate. And I just do it for heart health. And what I've noticed really the last couple few months, and I'm not a dramatic person at all, but what I will pass on is um, my lung capacity sucks. So like if I have to do anything, like if I walk up a flight of stairs fast, I just cannot recover. I feel like I'm 300 pounds and I'm breathing hard and heavy. There's no hit cardio. I don't care. I'll say it like having sex is tough because you just, <laughs> you just can't breathe. So you feel like you gained 100 pounds. And I, so I went to the doctor. I went and saw the doctor at the VA. They did a scan and everything else. Um, they noticed a little bit pop up, and they said it could be some damage from COVID. I was a prior smoker back in a former life a long time ago. Um, it could be a little bit of everything, but really it just came down to oxygen levels weren't as high as they could be. And that's just what I've noticed personally. Um, I haven't had the vaccine. still trying to debate whether to get that or not. So that was just from me getting it. So that's my experience. I don't think anyone's a damn expert in what's happening because we don't have enough data. I try not to go down that rabbit hole because we're all beat to death with this stuff on social. But that's just my personal experience um, to give back. Do you guys want to give any? I can give a little. Um, <clears throat> she's talking about with the vaccine, right? Not just getting COVID? E either. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> so I'm trying to think back to a few of my clients have had irregular periods from it um the vaccine um i've seen i've had two people contact me <clears throat> and they it was shortly after the vaccine they were having autoimmunity issues and so i think that's if i give any warning to anyone if you have autoimmunity issues in your family and it hasn't expressed itself genetically yet you've done a good job with your environmental factors your nutrition i would be very leery um to get it because of the autoimmunity uh that it seems to be bringing out and i i assume that's the inflammation i don't know the answer to that um was she saying she saw hair shedding she was just asking if we've seen any oh, just what we've seen yeah no from clients so a lot of it is really infl inflammation markers like weight up uh, irregular periods and um things like that and then I've been contacted for a few autoimmunity things stemming from it yeah. but other than that I've had you know other people get it and um, they seem to be progressing okay with their nutrition and training and everything so we are um, I'm gonna walk over here so on the next question this this will pick you up a little bit better go ahead we've got Sierra with the next question Okay, right, cool. So this is from Build Stock on um, diet breaks, which I really enjoyed, but really is one for Jason and John. So we talked a little about the pre-planned diet breaks or refeeds, but I was just wondering how often y'all do pre-planned, as in really before the client quote-unquote needs it, um, I guess to slow those adaptations versus as needed, and like a cut or a prep. Yeah, so basically when do we use diet breaks and things of that nature with a client during a cut? Not pre-planning them, right, but so when do I we notice to know to use them? Right, so when you do it pre-planned versus as needed, or is it like kind of case dependent on the person? Okay, yeah, so I, I've got the mic, so I'll just go ahead and t take the first one. I don't, I don't pre-plan diet breaks at all. I use them as needed, and as Jason kind of talked about earlier, it seems like 
guys don't really need them as much from my experience um, as women. So the only time I really use them is I, I remember the main one that I used that just worked like, like it was clockwork. It's perfect. I had a figure girl named Debbie. She was in her fifties, high, high stress. And I needed to get the last four pounds off of her and nothing I was doing was working and it was backfiring on me. And her diet was to a T. She sent me screenshots. I had a phone conversation with her. She was doing everything right. She was doing uh, two cardio sessions a day, which for if you've been a client of mine, I don't use a lot of cardio, but I had to go there with some people. So I was two cardio sessions a day, low calories. And what happened was I pulled 100% of her cardio out. I just drop it, 100% of it. And I think I added 35 carbs to her diet and had her take a few days off. Um, training intensity went way, way down. And I did that for a full week. And she was so nervous. And I was like, quit being so nervous. You're going to stress yourself out about that too. She was so nervous that she was going to gain weight. She dropped like three pounds that week because cortisol dropped. She gave her body a break. But then what happened was, is right after that week of feeding up, we went right back down and I left the cardio out, went right back down in her calories and she just kept dropping. So it's kind of a nice little bump. And I, I've done that from time to time. But even during a peak week, I'm, my people are dropping 100% of the cardio and getting it out. So cortisol drops and they, they tighten up and they look better. So, you know, I only systematically use it. What about you, Jason? Um, I'm, I'm kind of the same. Um, <clears throat> I think Bill even then went into it, as he was saying, as it, as it may apply to a bodybuilder. But, like, doing it when someone stalls is when I kind of use it. Um, or, like, on hormonal adaptations cases when they've stalled and maybe I've given them 14 days, you know, a couple, couple, maybe a little cardio adjustment, but I'm not, I've got to the point where I don't want to bring calories down any further. Um, then I'll go ahead and be like, all right, it's time to go ahead and take a diet break here. So I've, I've never really done it where I said, let's plan this. And <clears throat> there might be some benefit as Bill pointed out to saying, we're going to use these during this cutting phase. I just don't know when they are, but kind of letting them know I might start doing that for now on but I don't usually, but I know for that, uh, for a few girls I have going into prep, I think I'm gonna go ahead and let them know we're definitely gonna use it and we're gonna start earlier because of it. But I still think for me and everything I've seen, I'm gonna wait till that stall comes along and I don't wanna move cal calories any lower at that point in the diet phase and then I'll use it um, for a week or so and go from there. Um, one thing I want to add, Bill, if you have anything to add to that, feel free. Um, so I, the other thing too, you do high, Jason, you do high carb days once a week or like a little bump, right? That, another thing people don't realize is when they see a lot of just straight dieting calories, the same across the board for a long period of time. If you look at a high carb day, that's really kind of a diet break for one day. So like the book I wrote, it's called the flexible fat loss solution. I talk about how to put high carb days in to break up stalls that way, because you see people diet longer without needing a diet break if they're having a high carb day, but it's to maintenance. It's not over. I don't do a lot of, now I'm talking about people dieting for a show. I don't do a lot of cheat meals and stuff like that unless I've got someone just dropping too much. So it's a systematic high carb day to get them back to maintenance, to boost leptin, to boost metabolism, to drop cortisol, to, to give them something to look forward to, honestly, a mental break. But if you use those, it's a diet break once a week, if you really think about it, or once every 10 days or however you want to do it. I've got some people that do two high-carb days. They can't be giant high-carb days. You know, if you do one day, it can be a little bit bigger. If you do two, they need to be a little lower. 
But if you think about it from that standpoint, you may not have to do as many diet breaks because I you kind of alluded to that in your in your diet break um, presentation that you gave. You talked about refeeds. Mm-hmm. To me, it's kind of the same the same thing. Would would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean they're both nonlinear approaches, right? And I think that again, they their utility is when there is a problem that needs to be adjusted. Um, I have a, a just a, a coaching comment, even though I'm not a coach, but I was talking to somebody earlier who had a client who was struggling with the diet break approach, like just convincing them. And again, not a coach, and I'm sure all of you could could criticize this approach, but something that makes sense to me as I look at this from the outside is I look I would look at my role as the expert, as you guys are with your clients, and say, okay, you're hiring me to do this, but we are going to do this as a team. I'm going to give you the options, the best options, and then you and I are going to decide together what option do you think you can stick to the best. That takes a lot of the pressure off. If something doesn't work, if it's just me dictating you were going to do this, this, and this, well, then it changes it to, I, you know, instead of me dictating everything, well, we discuss this, and now instead of there's not blame, there's, oh, okay, that option didn't work well, now let's try this. So I, I, it's almost like you're empowering the client, and that's how I would coach, because I don't want the pressure of something not working. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, who has the next question we're going to get ready and take a few more, and then we're going to wrap up? So I have uh, two comments and a question. Uh, so one comment I have is, you know, kind of like uh, you were talking about with your, you notice your cardio is less um, efficient. And, um, you know, with the COVID and the vaccine stuff, we've all heard of the, you know, uh, amenorrhea issues um, and the myocarditis. And I, it may have been uh, Austin Stout or Justin Mahaley that said they're noticing a lot of higher CRP uh, as well post-vaccine. And, um, you know, that could be, you know, one issue with, you know, if you, your CRP and inflammation are high, your cortisol is probably high, cortisol is probably high, and you have the, you know, the, the insulin sensitivity issues. So, um, you know, like Jeff Sue talks about the domino effect, so maybe taking care of the inflammation issue uh, could, you know, for whoever asked the comment, uh, could possibly fix some of that. And two, I have a friend in the medical field who they're seeing a lot of scar tissue uh, post-COVID, especially those who, who have uh, severe um, problems with it like you did. So that's probably one reason why you're, you see your, your cardio uh, down. Two, um, a lot of us don't have a, I've noticed a lot of experience in giving those diet breaks to bodybuilders. I actually started doing that this year with uh, an elite um, natural bodybuilder, and we've done two diet breaks. And kind of like y'all talked about, um, we, you know, increased uh, calories for the week. We actually decreased his training to two days a week. And like you said, he dropped about three pounds. And of course, it's a lot of inflammation. But, you know, this year we've gotten up to the leanest he's ever been. He's been competing for four or five years now straight. Uh, genetically blessed, but you know he seems to stay full this year, and uh, we're leaner this year than he was a few years ago. Um, but he was flat a few years ago, so you know we I haven't taken hormone optimizer, I haven't taken cordies, um, and he seems to respond really well to it. So um, you know for those of you that that haven't had any of that um, anecdotal evidence, you know I've had it, and I've seen a, a great response from him. Um, and the way I have his his diet set up is we do a carb cycling for the most part. So we have low, medium, and high days. And for his uh, medium days, it's barely under maintenance. So um, he has two high days, and I actually got that information from Bill Campbell a few years ago. Um, you know, when you do the two high days, and you can see some more benefits possibly with the, depending on the individual. So we have two high days on the, on the weekends where he doesn't train, um, a medium day 
where like I said, it's just under maintenance and then two, you know, 35 to 40% low days. So he's responded very well to it. Uh, we're actually, you know, he's competing on the, the third. So we're, we're two weeks out and uh, I have that experience in the field that maybe a lot of you don't have yet. So I'm here to take you along with you know, uh, Jason and, and John that it's good in, in, in uh, application. And my question is, you know, have y'all dealt with anybody um, with a highly adaptive metabolism? I have a client who, you know, we've, we've worked together twice. Um, I've I increased her calories, you know, almost twofold. Uh, her insulin is good. Her fasting blood glucose is like 83 to 85. Um, but, you know, her only issue is she's a nurse. So her, 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 even though her cortisol isn't high on blood work, I know, you know, allosthetic load-wise, you know, she, she takes on a lot. So we're only training three days a week. So do y'all have any tips or tricks for, you know, maybe keeping that metabolism a little bit higher or, you know, have y'all dealt with it? Like I said, I mean, well, I can pull and pull and pull and she might drop half a pound and next week she's up a pound. So I don't really have, I'm kind of, you know, broken on that issue. Yeah, so Sammy, I know Sammy's doing the live stream. Are we good? Are you picking this mic up here? Yes. Okay, so highly adaptive metabolisms um, is an interesting topic. Jason, I'm going to throw this over to you here in yeah. a second. So, you know, my friend Cliff Wilson kind of coined that term, so to speak. He noticed, and we've all seen it, we just noticed no one put a term to it, but highly adaptive metabolisms, you see, you've got these clients where you can feed them up, feed them up, feed them up, and I've got a female eating 2,900 calories, and whenever I diet her down, you would all, I used to think, well, shit, she's eating 2,900. I'm probably gonna only have to get her like 2,100 or something like that. And back before I really knew, I was like, hey, this is gonna be, you're gonna be eating a lot of food. And then they were highly adaptive on the way up and you could feed them up. But then on the way down, you'd have to crush them. And I mean, crush them, so like 1,100 for her. That's a huge swing. So it's highly adaptive to me both ways. And I, I like that Cliff put that term to it, but I saw that going. Now, your question was, do we have any tips on how to keep the metabolism up and stuff like that? Um, Jason, what have you dealt with on your side as far as highly adaptive folks? Yeah. Um, so I always like to say that, you know, these are the people that would survive on a desert iron a lot better than some of the rest of us. Um, so, you know, it's a great survival mechanism, but it's really piss poor for getting in shape. Um, I've had a good amount of athletes uh, with that situation. Um, first and foremost, usually my first cut with them is almost 40%. <clears throat> and we just get going. And, and I know this about them. Uh, I think his name came out uh, but uh, around for something else, but Austin Stouts like that. And I've known Austin since he was 17. I did his first diets, and he usually comes back for cuts. And uh, he, he probably does that because he knows that I know his metabolism. And it, it is odd, and he doesn't want to wait for coaches to pull 60 carbs you know three four weeks and we lose fat burning um so first and foremost that's how i've dealt with it i, I go in and, and do a cut right away and i'll be honest with you if i have those people who start to like not gain weight and we're like a guy and we're above four thousand calories and we're a girl and we're up into the threes i start to think man they might have this issue on the way back down like they might be just as highly uh adaptive and so i get that in my head and i, I make a big cut so first and foremost, make a big cut. Don't just whittle away at 30, 40 carbs for a woman and 50, 60, 70 for a man. You gotta go in and get it down. Um, after that, the last piece to this, don't be afraid to freaking do things that you wouldn't do with other clients. 
I know there was, you know, in the, you know, about 2013, 2014, when metabolic damage was going around, everything, you know, you got to the point where people in the field didn't want to push their clients. With these people with the highly adaptive metabolisms, you got to just do it. I mean, I think when we got Austin ready for Junior USAs, he was a light heavy, and I think we were down to 1,400 calories on his low days. I mean, that's, that sucks. Maybe 1,600 on his training, and then we'd get him a refeed. So, really, you got to just work the shit out of them and not be afraid to do it and explain to them what's going on is important too so they have the the framework in place and they know that they're ready to to get after it and so they know why are you doing what you're doing so so the fish and lettuce diet comes to mind yeah good old austin stout he might hear this on the podcast someday so i made a mistake you brought something up that i want to throw in i made a mistake because when the whole metabolic damage movement started it scared me because you know listen i'm not real big on calling people out on social media but it was happening left and right and some of the people who were doing it like next thing you know is all these clients are jumping on board and they're saying my coach gave me metabolic damage and all these things well i was crushing clients to get them on stage and they were getting lean because you know sometimes you do what you have to do but it also made me aware so i, I became very aware of of making sure i took care of them on the way out but here's the mistake that I made. I had clients like that, or even clients in general, that I didn't push on hard enough because I was a little too worried, and they were three to five pounds from stage, when if I would have just pushed on them, they would have made it. So Cliff Wilson and I are great friends, and we were competing back and forth back then, and I would show up, and he would show up, and we'd have clients in the shows battling it out, and they're always leaner, and it fucking pissed me off. And I was like, what is going on here? And he was just crushing them. Not in a bad way, doing what he had to do the final weeks so i finally let go of that and i realized take care of them on the way out because bodybuilding is not the healthiest thing that you're going to do and sometimes you have to go the austin stout route and eat some lettuce when you're hungry and you're going to have to eat 1600 calories and that's just for those people that are highly adaptive don't be afraid to do that but i educate them i explain to them this is what we're going to have to do hang in there it's tough it's for a short amount of time We'll take care of you on the way out. So are there any other questions before we wrap this up? Bill, did you have any sent in to you? Do you guys have anything mm -hmm. that? No. I do have one, I guess more for Jason. So somebody that, I won't say who, my wife, <laughs> had, high t had a high uh, reverse T3. Yep. And let me, let me explain what I think that means. So reverse T3 is kind of like the antithesis to T3. It blocks the T3 receptor. And it just effectively, effectively makes the T3 that she has floating around non-effective. So after going through you know, a lot of research in that area, um, a, a doctor that, that we found um, put her on T3. Is that a typical approach? Is there other like before going on T3 to remedy that, is there other options? Yeah. Do you know what her free T3 was? Uh, it was it was good. Um, I don't. I, I do not remember. I remember reverse T3. I think it was 25. So okay, so that's just that's above pretty, the. the I don't like the it reference. Above 16, so that, but the reference, I think, like you said, goes to 22 or so. Like you were. Kind of hitting that. Yes, you're, you're, he's gonna blow. So, you ready? Everybody like, watch Jason. You know, he's gonna blow. <laughs> you. We talked about this in the um, hormonal thing. It's a lot of the lifestyle and stress, and so they threw a prescription at it without having a discussion with your wife to say, "Hey, 
what's what's your life like? What's your work like? Are you stressed? Are you going through a stressful period? And so, you know, I assume you eat fairly healthy at home. She probably does too. Yes. Yep. Okay. So a lot of it would be, you know, look at her training, look at what the activity she's doing, and let's bring the stress down and then see. Would I support the thyroid maybe with some um, extra minerals? Maybe. But I wouldn't jump right to the prescription T3 because once you're there, um, <clears throat> there is some studies, I will say, that show that you come off T3 and your thyroid goes right back to where it was. But that's not what I'm seeing in the field. Like, I'm seeing people that get on it and they use it for a while. They're, they're a little more down-regulated. And so it's just one of those things where... I would rather get at the root cause rather than just throwing a band-aid on it. And I feel like just throwing T3 at especially when her free T3 wasn't even low yet, is putting a substance in when really she's probably in an acute stress period and you could bring that down and then support the thyroid made with minerals and she'd be right where she needs to be. So mm-hmm. I would not go the T3 route there. At least not initially. Not initially. Okay. So lifestyle first, reduce lifestyle first reducing uh, things that perceived would be stress if that's been done is there any food or supplement option before t3 so kind of bridging the gap between the lifestyle and the prescription yeah so you know if they've covered lifestyle and i guess you're saying uh there's their t their reverse t3 still not getting better yeah yeah theoretically theoretically so i would look at testosterone because that's going to play a role on thyroid. And I would even go looking at their progesterone and, and how's that relation into their estradiol. Um, I would also um, consider sleep and look at that too. So it's a really a holistic thing that I would do. As far as other supplementation, um, there's nothing that's going to directly bring down reverse T3. Um, but reducing stress, so Cortese would help. Mm-hmm. Supplements like that, um, ashwagandha, if you just want a one-off, would help. Any adaptogens would help her. Adaptogens help you basically adapt to your stress, your stress that you have. So if we can only get her stressed so far, maybe those adaptogens would get it down further. So I think further additional adaptogenic type products would help in that situation. But then also look at the testosterone too. Yep. Um, so I see a lot of times if that's low, people get on HRT, thyroid sometimes comes up too. And then, you know, they're they're could be issues with methylation and you know mthfr which is when you you need methylfolate donors and the methyl b12s so there could be other issues at at play there but let's assume you know all that's fine then i would look at more of the the factors that i listed just a few minutes ago okay yeah so i was kind of hoping that we would see red ass jason show up (laughs) now if this was five weeks ago and it was right prior to peak week (laughs) we would have saw it and the reason why i was saying that is because I knew immediately they threw a script yeah. without addressing yeah. cortisol and lifestyle and stuff lifestyle, like that, which yeah. we see doctors do quite a bit. Especially when um, you know reverse T3 is a stress component, you right. know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bill, did you have anything else to add to that? No. Or any no. other Chase questions? has a question or a follow-up. Okay. Yeah, go ahead and ask it real loud. So, uh, so actually, I walked more back uh, two days ago, and uh, my reverse T3 is 26. Uh, my TSH was 1.9. Uh, my T- free T3 was... Um, Yeah, there it is. Uh, Three point one, and then uh, my cortisol was eleven. Okay. So everything was great, right? But cortisol looks good. Yeah. So it's not a cortisol. 
your cortisol looks good, so it's not a cortisol metabolism issue, but we do know the reverse T3 is gonna be pulling more of your bioactive free T3, and it's a stress re issue. I mean, maybe you took those and you haven't deloaded in a minute. I mean, you train intense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, training-wise, training sport, okay. all liver enzymes super high, because that's what they're Okay, so, okay, so I think that, because of the intensity you would list it with your training, that is driving that number higher. Um, you may need to deload a little longer than others. I don't know what you do in that situation, how you, you get run down at that intensity, or you, you're pretty good. But it sounds like because the, that, that's putting the, the liver off, it's definitely a stress there to the body. Is it long-term or is it just acute based on you know, your training that week? It's hard for me to say because your cortisol is working okay. So you're a good metabolizer of cortisol. And we see that a lot with men. You know, we don't see that high, but there is a stress component going on in the body. Did you ever see RPE done? I'm yeah, just curious. Yeah, grade five, two. Uh, one second. Yeah, cortisol. Trying to find labs on oh, your phone. Oh, here it is, uh, 0.4. Good, that's yeah. a good number. So inflammation is good in your body. I think it's probably more of an acute stressor like your training. And so I think though I would heed that, and as you age, I mean, you're a young guy, right? Just know that, you know, deloading and things like that at that intensity might be something that you need more often as you go because you don't want that to become a, a, a long-term problem. Yeah. All right, so this has been a fun, fun Q&A. We appreciate everyone that's here in person tuning in on the live stream. And for those of you listening to the podcast as normal, for myself, Jason, and Dr. Bill, we're out of here. See you guys.